We're talking about Philemon, and I want you to consider what's in a name. Names are really important. People think, and, and, you know, when a baby is, you know, going to be born, people are asking, what are you going to name it? And kind of the only thing that people can kind of hide from others at this point is no longer the gender, but it's what, the name? We're not going to tell you the name until the baby's born. So let me ask you, <clears throat> when you, when you think about names, I'm going to ask you the top five names for babies in 2016. At this point, shout out a few names. What do you think they are? I don't think I've heard one correct name. You guys are not naming your babies. The number one name for a baby boy is Liam. And for a girl, Emma. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And number two for a boy, Noah. And for a girl, Olivia. Number three, Ethan. For the girl, Ava. For a boy, four is Lucas. For a girl, Sophia. For a boy, the fifth, Mason. And for a daughter, Maya. Anybody get those? Raise your hand if you got one. Oh, we got one over here. Got a couple. You guys are really poor at this. Um, so anyway, those are kind of the new names. Well, this morning what we're going to do is we're going to take a look at this little letter that we talk about. It's one page long, 25 verses, 335 words in the Greek text. And I want you to notice the significance of the name of the person who is bringing back the letter to this man Philemon. His name is Onesimus. And Onesimus is carrying this letter that Paul has written. And we're going to look at what's in a name, what was in his name. And I want us to listen to these words of Paul. Paul was writing this in about 60, 61 AD. He was in prison, but as according to his words, we read in Philemon, he wasn't chained to his circumstances. He doesn't say, I'm... In prison in Rome, he says, I'm in prison in Christ. I'm chained to Jesus. And which was what we talked a little bit about last week. You know, how do you bless others? Well, one of the ways that we bless others is when we begin to see that our circumstances, that we're not chained to the bad, all the crummy things. We're chained to Jesus and we're chained to him. We experience his love and through his love and through this new perspective, we have the opportunity for God to use our circumstances in ways that can touch and bless others, and we can refresh others. So I want us to read, and particularly I want you to know verses 9 through 11, because Paul uses a pun on the name of Onesimus. And his name, though he is called useful, he was quite useless to this guy Philemon, who was his slave owner, master. Boss, if you want to put it that way. Because in, in that day, we think of slavery so often of our, <clears throat> our own American kind of slavery. In that day, there was um, so many people in slavery. It was almost the way that people would, they would, at times, if they came to a place of being impoverished, they would sell themselves in slavery to someone as a way of being guaranteed they'd be fed and they would have clothing and they could live. And so it was kind of a, a mixed in with their whole economic system. And so here is Paul, and he uses the name 
Onesimus, and he says he's useless, but eventually, both name and his nature, he'll be incredibly useful. So we haven't read through the letter before, so we're going to actually do that today. Let's look at um, Philemon, verse 1. And what we have here is, and I'm reading from the NIV, Paul, a, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our dear friend and fellow worker, to Aphia, our sister, to Archibus, our fellow soldier, and to the church that meets in your home. I always thank my God as I remember you in my prayers because I hear about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints. I pray that you may be active in sharing your faith so that you will have full understanding of every good thing we have in Christ. Your love has given me great joy and encouragement because you, brother, have refreshed the hearts of the saints. And you'll get that word refreshed a few times in here, but this is kind of the primary thing which we've been taking this series off of. So then he begins and continues. And and it's kind of interesting. He's got a reason he's writing this letter. And and look how long it takes before he gets to the name that he wants to name here. Therefore, although I, in Christ, I could be bold and order you to do what you ought to do, yet I appeal to you on the basis of love. I then, as Paul, an old man and now a prisoner of Christ Jesus, I appeal to you for my son. Now he finally gets to it. Onesimus. And if you can have a little footnotes, it, it, it says Onesimus means useful. Who became my son while I was in chains. Formerly, he was useless to you, but now he has become both useful to both you and to me. And I'm sending him, who is my heart, my very heart, back to you. And I'd like to have kept him, kept him with me so that he could take your place in helping, being useful to me, while I'm in chains for the gospel, but I did not want to do anything without your consent so that any favor you do will be spontaneous and not forced. And perhaps this was the reason he says that he was separated from you. Let's pray. Father, we ask that that you would take these moments that we have together, and I'm asking God that you would, through your Holy Spirit, take your word, which is living and active, and may our hearts be responsive, God, to what your spirit wants to say to us. I pray you would speak to each one of us, right where we're at, that we might better know you and ourselves, and so in knowing you and ourselves better, we might serve you and refresh others. We pray this in Christ's name, amen. So here's this letter, Paul's writing, got about a little bit into it, we'll get more into it next week again. Some people have asked me, how can you on one page, 335 words, get five messages? I think on this I could get about 10, because it's just so full of truth. Paul, you have to realize, I think Paul spent a lot of time thinking through how he was going to write this letter, and we're going to talk more about it next week when we talk about tact and crucial conversations, because he didn't just kind of throw this thing together. It was really thought through. But I want you to notice a few things, some interesting points that underlie Paul's words here. And the first is that we're going to look at Onesimus. He actually failed to live up to his name. And then some point along the line had an experience where he he began to understand and and God did something so much that that he began to live into his name. And so we're going to look at those kind of ideas. And the first, just this idea of that, that he actually failed to live up to his name. If you read verses 10 and 11 again, he says, I appeal to you for my son Onesimus, which means useful, who became my son while I was in chains. Formerly he was useless to you, but now he has become useful to you and to me. If you were to read it in the way that maybe they would hear it in their day, he would say, I appeal to you for my son useful. 
for formerly named useful was useless, but now he has become useful. That's, that's, that's kind of how that pun is, is used. And he's quite clear that uh, Onesimus wasn't what Philemon had hoped for. And I'm wondering if Onesimus wasn't what he, in his own life, had wanted to be. I wonder in some ways, as he thought about his own relationship with God, as well as he knew who God was, he was wrestling with. You know, I, I just don't kind of live up to what I maybe have been born. And so, as I thought about this, I, I began to think about, I wonder how Philemon actually saw Onesimus. You know, so no, more than likely, Onesimus was, was born um, into the home of Philemon. So he was born into this role of being a servant slave. And his parents were probably within this household of Philemon as slaves. So he's actually born into this. And yet what we find here is, is, is I'm guessing that, that Philemon kept looking at him going, he's got so much potential. And yet not only was he not useful, he was actually in some ways to Philemon a burden. Ever had that with a person you employ and you got this person they're working for you and you had so much potential? You know, probably one of the hardest things to do is to kind of evaluate people and get the right people. Um, and, then, and then when you get them, you know, they look so good on paper, right? And all of a sudden you get working with them and you go, man, I kind of wonder when he was born, his parents gave him, they said, you know, we're going to call him useful. He's going to be really useful. And I, I wonder if, if Philemon himself was thinking, this would be great, we got a child, we got a, a son, you know, a, another male born into this household. And, and, I'm, and I have to believe that Philemon was probably a really good person. He probably took good care of the people that were under his charge. I want to look at him in the sense of a good boss. He was probably a good boss. And he's probably looking at this, this little Onesimus thinking, I just can't wait till he grows up and I can't wait till he's so useful. And then he turns to be a burden. In verse 18, Paul even says, if he's done you any wrong, Philemon, or he owes you anything, charge it to me. And I wonder if Philemon's thinking, done me wrong. Owes me anything. Seriously, Paul. Guy ripped me off big. Not just what he took when he, when he ran away. But throughout the years of his life. He never, he never ever lived up to his name. And then I think of... Uh, not just Philemon, but think of maybe what Onesimus may have felt. I, I thought, you know, here's a guy, and he's been given this name useful, and, and everyone's looking at him to be useful. And throughout his life, he grows, and, and I say, I wonder what he was thinking. I wonder if he saw these people looking at him and going, man, he's just, his potential is just left on the table. He's, it's just untapped. I wonder what if Sinesimus thinking. There's a man, his name is, um, is Tom Nelson, and he, and he writes in his, in his book called Work Matters, and we're going to be doing a series on this as we come into the fall, this whole idea that your work matters, whatever you do. But he asks these thought-provoking questions. He says, did at some point Onesimus look at his future and see that his dreams and his current situation would never be realized? Ever thought that yourself? Was he given daily work that was both unchallenging and unappealing? 
Maybe long hours and this endless kind of domestic living in these household duties that he, was, that, that he was probably assigned to, they seem just so mundane and so meaningless as he was going through his life and he's got this job and what he's doing seems just the same thing over and over again. He's got, and he's just going, man, this is just not anything close to what I've been thought I should be doing. I wonder if Onesimus had been daydreaming about what life would be like if he was free. Can you imagine that? If I just could get free and I could just do what I want to do. And maybe over periods of months and weeks, he even was thinking about this even before he ran away. Who knows, maybe some kind of dehumanizing, painful incident in the workplace that he was in kind of broke what we call that proverbial straw on the camel's back. It was just kind of like, that's it. It's the last time I'm letting anyone treat me like this. I'm out of here. Maybe at some point along the line, he just really blew it. Really couldn't blame it on anyone else. He failed big. And he just couldn't measure up to others' expectations, to his own Maybe even to God's. You ever been there? Ever been in that kind of place where you just go, you know, you're just tired of trying to measure up? You gotta ask yourself, what prompted Onesimus to make his escape? We don't really know. It remains a mystery. We're not told in scripture or in any other place. But one day, one eventful day, he just said, I can't do this anymore. I need a new, I got to get to a new place. I'm going to get into new relationships. I'm, I'm out of here. Mr. Useful was for all practical purposes to Philemon, maybe to himself, useless. At some point he just said, I can't, I can't keep doing this. Maybe it's for you a work situation. You just can't be what your boss wants you to be. Maybe it's, uh, for some of you, a son or a daughter, throughout your life, you kind of said, I just, I, you know, mom, dad, they have, I just can't, I can't meet their expectations. And maybe it's in your own marriage. When you're at this place, you go, I just keep trying, I just want to give up. You know what, maybe there's something better, maybe I'm out of here. Maybe it's in your relationship with God, in your experience. I found that so often in my own life and there was times in my life where I just you know you kept trying real hard to do good and to do what you, you could to, to, to please God and, and you want God's acceptance and you, and you want this and, and you just keep trying and you keep trying and, and then you, you do really well for a while and all of a sudden you, you fail and you just blow it right and so and you kind of go okay and then you get to this place and, and, and once you feel bad enough for a while then you start going okay I'm going to try again and then try again and you keep trying you try and all of a sudden you, you, you blow it and you go, I, I just can't. And so at a certain point, some of you actually said, I, I'm done with it. And you might even be thinking this right now. I'm, I'm done with church. I'm done with this whole God. I'm just going to get out of here. I'm tired. I'm just tired of trying to measure up. And that's exactly where Onesimus was. And he thought if you could just get a ticket to freedom. You ever thought that? You know, if I could just get that ticket to whatever you think in your mind. If I could just get that ticket to freedom. That's what he's thinking. If I can get there, everything's going to be fine. Just escape. That's all I need to do. 
Get from out from underneath these expectations. In his mind, get to Rome. If I, I, if I can get to Rome, my guess is he was probably in Ephesus because Colossae was a smaller city, um, Laodicea, Colossae there. And then here's Ephesus, which is a bigger city. He may have been on a task with his boss, his boss you know, trusting him to do something. And he was planning this for a long time. And he took off. He got on a ship. He gets to Rome. He's so excited to be in Rome because Rome's a big city. Rome's where you can be you want. There are all kinds of slaves there. So you could just kind of mix in with everybody else. He's there. And for some reason, we don't even know how or what happened exactly. I sometimes wonder if he had heard Paul when Paul was there years ago, and maybe when he was in Ephesus, he had been there for two years. Could have been that, that, that it was at that time Philemon came to faith in Christ, and Onesimus could have been there. He could have been challenged by that message. I could see him, just like the prodigal son who runs away, thinking if I can just get here, and eventually all he finds himself doing, because he doesn't have the money, he knows his dad's back with this property, he's eating in a pigsty and he's, can hardly, he's kind of eating what he's feeding the pigs and he finally goes, I'm done. I got There's got to be something more. And I just wonder if Onesimus thought, I'm going to try and find his Paul. He hears in Rome. I heard that he was in prison. You know, he maybe goes to one of the house churches. He, he, he thinks maybe these people who are believers of Jesus, there's something different in their life. I wonder if he went there. And we, we, we kind of know something happened. Because he experiences a change that impacts his name. And while he's in Rome, something happened to him that changed his life forever. You know how you kind of think sometimes if you could just get the stuff out here to change then, then everything else will be in here will be just fine? That's a lie. Not going to happen. I mean, it's real easy. I, it's so, so easy. I don't care if you're a person who's trying to check out what it means to follow Christ and you're in that place. I don't care if you're a believer. It's really easy to think if I can get this out here to change then in here everything's going to be great. I think that's what he's wrestling with. And I think he came to Paul, and Paul kind of says, says to him, we, we, we know that he did, because we read here, he says, I appeal to you for my son Onesimus, whom he came. Something happened. Who became my son while I was in chains. There was some truth that transformed Onesimus in here, so that now he could begin to impact and influence the things out there. You might be thinking that if you could just get this out here changed, it's going to change. The reality is there's probably a lie you're believing because there's some truth that God wants you to know in here that as you know that and you begin to live in it, that truth in here begins to influence and change the things out here. And yet we're all like the Nesimus, we just want to run, Right? just want to get out of here, I just want to escape. Something so profound, so real impacted Onesimus that he moved at some point from useless to useful. Something happened in here. Something happened in the way he understood life. Something happened within his spirit that caused him to move from useless to useful, from a slave to a son, from a servant to a brother. Something happened in here that changed his perspective completely. So much so 
I love what Amherst, you were saying earlier about the fact that I've been kind of saying some nice things, but the reality is, so much so that when it changed in here, he actually considered, and not only considered, he did this. He took a letter that Paul wrote and put himself back into the place of potentially being a slave. How many of you would do that? I'm going to trust you, God, that as I walk here, I want everything out here to change. But I'm going to trust you as you begin to change my heart and you begin to change internally what's going on here, that I'm going to trust you to go back out here and be a new person that changes the things around me. Some of you, God is waiting for you just to quit trying to get out of it, quit trying to escape. You're trying to say, but if, my, if I could just get my husband, I mean, my wife, you know, she probably for years wanted, if I could just get him to change. The reality is, you can only really deal with you. And it's amazing the word of God tells us that when you begin to change and deal with you, it has an impact on others. Now, it may not change every circumstance you're in. And I'm not saying that if you're in an abusive circumstance, you should just stay in it because you're never to stay in that kind of abuse. You have boundaries that God has given you that you need to really be aware of. But I'm telling you, most often, for most of us, it's not some kind of thing like that. It's just we are thinking if we get this to change, then we'll be okay. And and, and Anathemus came to a point in his life where he realized it's about what you need to do in me, God. And you might be needing to hear that right now. I love... Verse 15, while in Rome, Onesimus came across Paul. And how this happened, we don't know. But verse 15 tells us, perhaps, says Paul, the reason he was separated from you, finally, for a little while, was that you might have him back forever. No longer a slave, but better than a slave as a dear brother. What's happened in him has changed him. In fact, you should be changing you in the way that you even see him. He is very dear to me, but even dearer to you now, both as a fellow man and as a brother in the Lord. And the word perhaps is a great word. Could it be that God, in his infinite grace, saw the struggle in Onesimus' heart? So God's watching Onesimus through this whole process. God is watching you even through this whole process. He hasn't left you. He loves you. He, he lets us kind of, you know, run our course. God heard his cry. Heard his cry the first time he cried out. Heard your cry the first time he cried out. And God led him through these series of his choices to a place where not only was he tired of trying to measure up, but he was ready to give up. And he came to a place of giving up. And somehow he stood before Paul and Paul told him some truths that changed his life. Could it be that that Onesimus was living out the very beatitude that I love that Jesus begins his beatitudes with? Blessed are the poor in spirit for what? Theirs is the kingdom of God. Blessed, the way I love to read that is, is this. Blessed are those who have come to the end of their resources of trying to measure up, tired of trying to in their own strength to do what only God can do through his strength. Blessed are you right in that place because now you are open for the rule, for the work, for the presence, for the power of God to move in here to change things here so they can begin as he changes to change things out here. Somehow, in some way, God caused Onesimus to find Paul. Paul not chained to his crummy circumstances. Next to, think about it. Next to some stinky 300-pound guard. Everywhere he goes, he goes to the bathroom. This guy's with him. That's exactly how it was. 
But he wasn't chained to him, he was chained to Jesus, because he was chained to Jesus. Paul had something different inside him, so he could see things differently, so that when Onesimus came, he was realizing, oh, maybe I'm here right now, perhaps I'm here right now for this occasion, so that I can share with Onesimus something that might be really powerful, that could change not only his life, but actually touch yours and mine. And so Paul says to him, Onesimus, you were born to be useful. You were born to be a son, not a slave. Guess what, Onesimus? God loves you, and, and he sent Jesus to set you free from this exhausting and impossible cycle of trying to measure up and be what you think you should be before him, to try and please him, to find acceptance in God, or maybe in a parent, or someone else. And guess what? Jesus came to forgive you, Onesimus, and he came to give you a new and a deeper and a forever name. That in that name is a sense that you are useful and he will make you useful. And you are not just a slave, but you are a son. And you are not just some servant in this family household. You are actually a brother to those within this church that meets in Philemon's home. And guess what? You don't even have to work for it. Because your name will be son of the most holy God of the Father, brother of the perfect and sinless King Jesus, part of God's family by the work of the Holy Spirit. Not useless. That's not who God called you. He has made you to be useful and he will make you useful. You are called son, brother, saint, forgiven, righteous, love. This is you, Onesimus. And guess what? Here's the best part, Onesimus. It's not about you. You don't have to work for it. You don't have to get off. You you actually can get off this eternal treadmill that you've been on, trying to please God, trying to live up to your name, trying to do this stuff. You can get off this because it's not about you. Here's the thing about a lot of churches, and here's what religion will tell you. Religion will tell you um, it's what you do. Religion wants you to think it's what you do for God, and what you do for God, then God goes, good, if you just do good enough, if you just make it to here, if you make it to here, then I'll love you and I'll accept you, and then all of a sudden he seems to move a little further. If you just are here, that's what it tells you. Just, you keep, you're on this cycle and this treadmill, and you're thinking, about if you get, and, and that's what religion tells you, but Jesus, he says, comes, guess what, Jesus comes to you, and he says, you're not, it's not on the basis of what the things you do, it's on the basis of what's been done for you through Jesus. That's the gospel. The gospel is the fact that the the king has come and he's brought a kingdom and Jesus would say all the time to people, this is what the gospel is. When you're reading the gospels and we're going to do this series in this in this fall, so I'm excited about this. He he, he basically says, guess what? God's rule is available and those who are poor in their resources, it's right here. It's right next to you. It's not about you doing anything. It's about you accepting the fact that God loves you and he himself will die through Jesus on a cross to forgive you for the things that you can't do and you get all of this and not only you get this fact that you get a a clean start but you get a clean start every day because you as you look to him and you begin to realize through humility and your own poverty and your own inabilities as you begin to understand that you begin to understand that he gives you his holy spirit so that he can live through you it doesn't mean you don't have abilities and things that he wants you to do you do have them and and each one of us are responsible to develop those for for god in ways but it's not our abilities that he's saying you need to have in order to gain acceptance I mean, I, I, I'm learning this after how many years I'm learning it. I, I've been saying, Lord, would you take it from my, my frontal kind of brain and bring it down even to the, the, the brainstem core that I would know deep within me that I'm loved 
I don't need to live in fear. You don't need to live in fear. You're loved by God. So much so that he does it all and he says, now receive it, take it in. Let me just pour it into you. And as you begin to take that in and and get off this treadmill of thinking somehow if I just am good enough, but just get off that and begin to live in the love. And when you make a mistake, don't try and beat yourself up so you feel really bad so that you can get back on the treadmill. Just continue to say, God, I don't get it. I don't understand it. But I want to know, I want you to know this. Deep in my heart, when I fail, I'm just bummed because it hurts you and hurts other people. And I know it even hurts me. But I want to live into this name that you've given me, which is righteous and holy and loved and made perfect in him. Religion is all about you and how much you love God. Think about it. It's a crummy place to be. Look, God, I really love you. And that's nothing wrong with that. But it is if you're saying, look, God, I really love you, so love me. Jesus is all about God the Father. Think about it. Looking into your heart, knowing that none of us measure up. None of us are going to do it in our own strength. It's all about look at the Father. Get your eyes off your Look at the Father. In the Father is all the love you need. He loves you right where you're at. Live in it. And that's what I think is so cool because that's what happens to Onesimus. Onesimus lives into his name. Not because he had this revelation that somehow, oh, I have all these abilities and I can do this. He actually chooses to take a letter to move back into this junk, into that place that he was hoping would go away. But he's carrying something in his heart that has changed him forever. He's carrying God. And if you've got God, you have peace, you have joy, you have his presence. You may not feel it all the time. But that's part of the walk of faith and trust. You have God, and you bring God into that place. And you begin to say, God, now, as I'm in this place right now, and I have these things going on, how do you want me to live here? How do you want me to respond to this? What do you want to do in me in this place? And Onesimus lived into his name. No longer did he have to prove himself to God or anyone. He could accept himself with grace. He could forgive himself. And when he blew it, he could forgive himself because he knew that he had been forgiven by Jesus. Let me ask you, do you live with a sense of grace? Do Do you live with a sense that you are forgiven? Have you even forgiven yourself? That's For some people, that's the hardest thing to do. And it's the last, it's what I call the last battle of pride. You could say, well, you know, someone else can forgive you, and that person maybe you hurt forgives you, and, and even God, you're told, forgives you, but you, I can't forgive me. You may be there. I, I want to tell you, that's not, that God isn't going, wow, that's really cool that you're so strong and, and hard on yourself. <laughs> He's going, no. Did all this so you could yourself 
accept who you are. And some of you are going to have to accept the fact that you've hurt people. You're going to have to accept the fact that you, you haven't done it necessarily right. You're going to have to accept the fact that so there's consequences in your past. But guess what? Where you're at right now, God can take you and he can begin to change you. And what happens in those changes, he begins to create a new future for you. He has a new future for you. You just got to let him forgive you. You need to forgive you. And he could now see, Onesimus could see, his name as something that the Spirit of God would empower him to become. I love this. What you have is, he, he uses that word become. You know, we, he was useless, but he's becoming useful. And in the eyes of God, he's useful. Whatever the name is that you live with, loser, um, failure, uh, it can be um, promise breaker, I used to always think when the promise keepers thing was around, they should have called it promise breakers because that's what we most are. Um, but the idea was to give us what we're supposed to be. Anyway, um, whatever the name is, he's saying that's not you because through the power of God, you're going to become what he sees you. Live into that. And so you have this picture of Onesimus who's been given this name And Paul would say it, I appeal to you for my son useful. Formerly he was named useful, but was useless to you. But now he has become in the eyes of God and is becoming useful to you and to me. And Paul experiences Onesimus as a changed person. And because of the relationship to Jesus, Onesimus is no longer a slave, but he's far better. He's a son, a brother, a fellow partner. And he's not a fellow partner by compulsion, but he's a fellow partner through the sincere inner desire that has been placed in his heart because of who he sees he is today. His identity changed everything. His name now has changed everything. And um, Paul makes it really clear to Philemon that Jesus has changed everything and that Onesimus is merely not just name useful, but in actuality his nature is useful. So much so that I love the way the message says it. He says, um, this is how the Peterson and message says, while here in jail I fathered a child, so to speak, says Paul. And, and here he is, hand-carrying this letter, Onesimus. He's saying, this is Philemon reading it, and he now looks over at Onesimus. Get that? He was useless to you before... He's looking at him like, yeah, you're right. Um, but he's useful to both of us. Oh, And I'm sending him back to you, but it feels like I'm, listen to this words, but it feels like I'm cutting off my right arm in doing so. That's how useful he's become. Names are really important. In the eyes of God, your heavenly father, he sees you just as he has named you. And he doesn't expect perfection. I just want you to think for a second. This might be good, what I call lunchtime conversation. Okay? What are some names that you find yourself living with that you, they really aren't God's name for you? It's amazing how we kind of get these names from time to time. We get them sometimes as a nickname from childhood. We get them because our parents say something kind of, sometimes they could say it meanly or offhandedly, and, and then you carry this name the rest of your life. You know what's really kind of interesting is the names that sometimes you put onto yourself that are negative, that really limit you, that keep you in this place, that make you want to continue to run because you see yourself in this way. Those names that, that you are living with are just often the opposite. You know, if you're a loser, God says, no, you're a winner. I, I want to share with you, this is really a truthful principle in scripture. And you see name changes all the time. And he takes names and he takes names and he gives you names prophetically because he wants you to live into those names someday. 
And he's going to train you and teach you how to do it. So here's Jesus. Jesus is, is what, what do we call him? The son of God. What his unique and holy and only son of God. If there's anyone who's the most legitimate son of God, who is it? Who, who do you think it could be? Yeah, well, okay. Trick question, huh? No, yeah, Jesus. But you look in the word of God, what do you think Satan, what do you, how do you think Satan comes against Jesus? He is called illegitimate over and over again. The religious people are calling him illegitimate. If you read in scripture, if you read in ancient times, if you're to talk about a person who is a legitimate son of someone, he would have, you would find in scripture, it's Joseph's son. But again and again, they call him Mary's son. Because it was really wide known, the, the rumor was spread. The, the, the religious people would laugh behind Jesus' back because they would kind of say, yeah, yeah, you know what happened. Mary, that child, Jesus, there's probably a Roman soldier, and that's probably who the father is. They're not blind this kind of virgin birth thing. Isn't it interesting, the very name that is really truly who Jesus is, who is the legitimate, full son of God in the flesh, unlike anyone else, is called the one who is illegitimate. You're going to have that in your life. You're going to have a name, and God's going to say, that's not your name. That is Satan trying to keep you from who he wants you to become. That's Satan trying to keep you from what he wants to do in you. That's Satan in such a way so that if he can keep you from doing that, you will not refresh others. You will not make a difference in other people's lives because you're going to live in this place, and it's not about you. It's about what God wants to do in you, and as you begin to look at that, look at what that name is, and I would challenge you to think of the opposite, and I think that's where God is calling you to go. Okay, we're done. Um, I just look at the clock. Uh, I just expect your identity to be under attack. Let me just conclude with this, okay? You just have to get a grasp on how useful Onesimus was. And I want you to know, it's not just in his own day, but I want you to hear how useful he is to you and to me, Okay? Because he lived into his name, because he had this experience where he began to realize how, mo- how deeply God loved him, and he was tired of trying to measure up. He, everything was transformed, and it not just didn't make a difference just to Philemon and the people in his own household. He has refreshed and touched you. This is what I read last, last week, um, and, and it's by this name, man named William Barclay. It's in his commentary on Philemon, and, and you can find this in other places, but I like the way he writes it. He says, so I just want you to fast forward the tape, okay? This is around 50 AD or 60 AD. Now go to about 100 AD. Ignatius, one of the great Christian martyrs, one of the fathers of the faith, is being taken to execution. He's going from Antioch, which is up in the northern part of, of Israel, um, in Syria, and he's going to Rome. And on his way to Rome, he stops at a place called Smyrna, and in Smyrna, he writes some letters. We have these historical letters to this day. And he stops to write to the church at Ephesus, because he's in modern-day Turkey, which Ephesus isn't too far away, so he writes this letter so it can be can-carried to the church in Ephesus. It's carried there. And in this first chapter of this letter that he writes to the church in Ephesus, he has a whole bunch of things to say about their wonderful bishop, who was the pastor of a lot of churches in that city. And guess what the bishop's name is? His name is Onesimus. And Ignatius makes exactly the same pun as Paul does in his letter. He is Onesimus by name and Onesimus by nature, the profitable, useful one to Christ. And it may have well been that that runaway slave had become, with the passing of years, the great bishop of Ephesus. 
Philemon obviously letting him free. So I read it last week. And here's what I want you to do. To take it one step further, here's what else Barclay says. And he asks this question, why did this little slip of a letter, this single papyrus sheet, survive? How did it ever get itself into the collection of all the Pauline letters? Think about this. This little letter, why in the world did this survive? It deals with no great doctrine. It attacks no great heresy. It's the only one of Paul's undoubted letters. This is one that we know all the scholars will tell you. Even the ones who doubt will say, yeah, this was written by Paul. This was his individual handwriting. It's... It is practically certain, as Barclay says, that the first collection of Paul's letters was made at Ephesus. We know that about the turn of, their, of the century. And it was then that Onesimus was bishop of Ephesus. And it may well be that what, it was he who insisted that this letter be included in the collection, short and personal as it was, in order that all might know what the grace of God had done for him. Paul had written all kinds of probably little letters like this to people. We don't have one of them surviving, but this one survived because Onesimus, who came back and and found himself once to be useful in his hand because what God had done in his heart, and Philemon giving him freedom, and Onesimus began to live into his name in such a way that the blessing of God began to pour out on him. Eventually, we find that he becomes the pastor of the churches in Ephesus. He's in Ephesus, and he goes, let's get all Paul's letters together, the letters of Ephesians, the letter of Colossians, and, 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 and make sure my letter's in there because I want you and I want you and you and you and you to know what God can do in the life of someone who lets him save and love him and he wants you to refresh others he wants you to live into the name that he has given you and so I just ask you these questions as we conclude what is God's name that he calls you I'm going to ask you to quit beating yourself up if you need to forgive yourself and begin to say, God, help me. Begin to accept your love and, and to begin to live into that name. And, and some of you, you're in a place in your life right now where you've been living this and, and, and God is, is asking you to help someone else live into their God-given name. Just think for a second. Is there a name that comes to mind quickly? You go, you know what? I believe right now the Holy Spirit's saying, yeah, that name, I need to help this person. It might be just a letter. It might be beginning to just take some time through the next year to have coffee with that person once in a while. Which makes you ask the question, what are you chained to? If you're chained to Jesus, I want you to begin to start opening your eyes at work or wherever you live and say, is there a Onesimus near me that God wants me to touch and refresh. I'm just going to bow your head for a moment. I want us to take just a moment just to ask God to kind of deal in our heart. There are some of you, I just believe in my heart, there are some of you who are saying, God, if you just change this around me, my life would be better. And God said, no. I just want you to begin to know how much I love you and I want you to begin to live into that. And maybe it's take responsibility for some things that you haven't been, whatever it is, and God's saying, you know what, I just want to live in you in such a way that you begin to change and as you change, you will watch my blessing. For some of you, he might be calling you to do something really difficult right now. He's asking you to be obedient like, a, like an asthmus and to to carry something back into a situation. 
and to trust him with the name he's now given you and not let yourself be bound by that name that isn't yours. For some of you, I know when, when I said, you know, a name comes to your mind that God has placed around you that you need to refresh. It's real clear, you see that name and you see that person and I want you to ask right now because God will answer you. He'll talk to your heart. What does he want you to do? If you don't get an answer right away, just let that kind of mull over in your heart and your mind for a while. Let God tell you whatever it is. I mean, it's a phone call. Who knows what it is? Sometimes God says really strange things and, and you know, it was probably a really strange thing he said to Onesimus. Go back to Philemon. But it was in that obedience that Philemon came into the fullness of his name and has touched you and me. God might be asking you to look for an, an, an estimus. Maybe in the workplace there's someone that he wants you to, to pour some love into because in that person you have no idea how many lives will be touched. I don't think Paul had any idea what would happen with Onesimus years later. Father, we want to proclaim now in this time of worship that we are no longer slaves, but we are sons. We are daughters. We are children of the King. And when you command us, And you ask us to move to a place to do something, whatever it is, God, we ask for responsive hearts and we will say yes. In fact, right now, if God is asking you something, if in your heart, it may be hard to voice those words to him, but just tell him yes. That's God. Maybe it's for you to experience the love of God, the forgiveness of God. Just open your heart and say yes. When we sing this song, open your heart to God. Don't just sing words right now. Sing your heart to God, we pray. In Christ's name, amen.